Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Sunday, July 8, 2018. The share ID numbers for Friday, July 6, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11628, that's 11,628. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11630, that's 11,630. This morning, A Vision for You presents Living in the Fourth Dimension. The 12 steps, as outlined in the Big Book, represent a process of spiritual awakening. Their real advantage is that they are a specific method for producing a personal transformation, a metamorphosis, a change in the way a person thinks, feels, and behaves. The big book states, with few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own perception of a power greater than themselves. We submit to a simple process that is not easy, yet takes us to a place we've never been. The results are disproportionate to our efforts, yet our efforts are required to sustain and enlarge it. We are now living in the fourth dimension, beyond the three dimensions of the physical world, into a spiritual way of life. A new world comes into view and... We know a new happiness and freedom. Joining us today to share about her transformation is Anita J., a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Anita is a beloved member of Overeaters Anonymous, which includes a vision for you, and she's dedicated to carrying the message of recovery. Welcome to the line, Anita J. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you very much for asking me to um, do a special edition on any topic that I wanted to. And um, uh, this is the one, this is the one that came right to mind because this has been long coming and so gratefully received. But I I am a compulsive overeater and I can say that I'm recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, it certainly was seemingly hopeless to me uh, because I've been going through the doors, coming coming to OA since uh, May of 1978, never realizing what it was really about, even though all we had was the big book and the 12 and 12 of AA. I, in my mind, I've always been this type of person. If I can't make sense of something, I'll make sense of it, whether it's true or not. I decided, I, hear all the eyes, just like in Bill's story, all his eyes. Um, This is just a holdover until OA gets its act together to write its literature. So we're just reading this, getting an idea, never never really looking at where does it relate to me. I really felt this was my mother's book. She's the one who should have read this book, not me. Well, with that kind of an attitude, what are you going to get? 
I was lucky I got abstinence, which I also thought was what you did. You know, I've got to tell you a little bit about me so you can understand what this transformation has been. Um, so I was an only child um, of a marriage. You know, they really came from two different worlds. She was, um, she was first-generation Italian living in Omaha, Nebraska. And my father came over from what was then called Persia with a beautiful oriental carpet under his arm, not too big, 17 years old, um, on his own. Those two met. Don't ask. So anyway, the point is they had me, and um, his motive was he thought it would straighten her out. <laughs> Sometimes kids shouldn't know this stuff. And um, she didn't have any place to stay. So that's, that's how that marriage started. And um, it wasn't happy. It wasn't happy. And, you know, I was so happy when I heard Harlan say, um, it's not the problem. Food isn't the problem. It was the solution to the buildup of human emotions. And you know what? Every day human emotions. Well, every day in that household was fighting, fighting, fighting. And... I really believe if I hadn't had, you know, access to the bread box and making a huge hole into the uh, Italian bread, uh, the whole inside, back and forth, back and forth, as a little kid, little, uh, I wouldn't have survived. So I actually am grateful. You understand that? That um, I went through my childhood numb. The problem was, I went through a lot of my life numb, never picking up any coping skills, but uh, getting an idea from other families and other ways people behave. How does a normal person behave? That was my job, to act like that. The word act, not that you could become. You yourself could become a real person. Uh, it was beyond me, and um, also I didn't understand that. I thought that's what everybody did, right? You don't know what you don't know. So I was, um, I guess my top weight as a child was um, the beginning of the eighth grade, I was 167 pounds and um, discovered boys. <clears throat> And, um, oh, my, <clears throat> I didn't know the word boys would do that to me. And I went on my first diet, I just, which was really starvation, and um, dropped 40 pounds in the eighth grade and um, looked pretty good in the eighth grade graduation picture. Uh, and that began the up and down. The up was not too high after that until I caught Mr. Wright, you know. You know, Mr. Wright, that was the type I was. Somebody was going to save me. It was always an outside thing. I had no idea that it begins inside yourself, your self-worth. This is all for later, you know. 
what what I didn't understand any of that. So the point is, I did find Mr. Wright, and um, he was uh, living in New York, and uh, I thought, that's the one place I always wanted to be, you know. Of course, I wanted to be on the stage, not not sitting in the theater. I wanted to be on the stage. But wishing and following through, you see, I I didn't have it. I just, you know, I started off in the school of speech in the local university and um, was doing all right, but I couldn't stand those um, those auditions. It just beat me down. It just kept beating me down, and then I wouldn't go back, and then I, I'd miss one that I would have been perfect for. So the point of all that is I dropped out, actually went to night school and uh, majored in psych. So if I couldn't act them, I could understand people maybe. And um, that was pretty good. So I met Mr. Wright, and I moved, you know, to... Well, it turned out it wasn't New York City. It was Yonkers. <laughs> and uh, nothing against Yonkers, but it, it wasn't New York City. But anyway, the point is, I began to live a dream. We married, and uh, it was, I lived in fantasy because it wasn't turning out what I wanted it to be. But I tried. And we ended up in Massachusetts because of his work, and uh, that's where we started our family. <clears throat> and it's there where I finally, really, it began going up and up. It started in the honeymoon and it kept going. And uh, I joined one of those weight loss things, became a lecturer, then became the branch manager. And then my father got sick. And I just got mad at the organization, quit and gained 50 pounds. The point is, I always turned to food. It was my only coping skill, really, basically my whole life. And um, and then it got worse and worse. And uh, at some point, um, I thought education would do it, decided to finish that college degree, and then go on and get a master's degree. And I remember starting, you know, I'm 5'3". Not anymore. Now I'm only 5 feet, but 5'3". And uh, I weighed 167 at the start of that master's degree. Well, it wasn't, didn't take decades to finish a master's. I think it was a year and a half, maybe two. I think it was a year and a half. I weighed 210 at the graduation. And um, so much for education. And then I went to a hypnotist, and I got down to... 183, I could not go below 180. And that's when I began to realize this has more to do with other things. There are some psychological reasons you eat. This is not just um, because you like bread and ice cream. And, you know, anyway, the point is I went, what was my solution? I went to a hypnotist. <laughs> oh, brother. And... um it was, uh, well, that hypnotist got me to there, but the hypnotism didn't work any further. And at that point, I got a job. And um, it was um, in counseling. Isn't that great, me helping others? <laughs> so also, I wasn't that great at caring about others. 
but uh, helping others. And um, anyway, the point is somewhere along there, I got hired away in 185 <clears throat> and uh, then get, um, and working with a lot of uh, recovered alcoholics, and I began to feel terrible. Uh, look at how great. You know, I thought, what am I doing in this power seat? I'd go home, and for the first time in my life, I was eating in front of people because the pressure of acting normal, acting, you know, my role as the counselor guiding them uh, in terms of work, not psychological, you know, in terms of work and um, or education. Uh, too much. My two children at that point were uh, uh, freshmen and sophomore in high school, and um, they're staring at me. Now they knew where all their cookies went. Now they knew why the uh, carton in the freezer was empty. Now they knew all of that. What happened to the peanut butter? They never. Nobody ever knew. He thought she did it. She thought he did it. At the point is, um, I didn't care. I had that pent up of emotion of trying to be normal. I couldn't act anymore. And that's when, I don't know how I heard, was it, was it, is it odd or is it God? I finally um, tried away. Somebody, when I was the lecturer and <clears throat> was weighing them, said, um, Oh, I love coming here. You're so funny, and this is so much fun. I, I tried Overeaters Anonymous, but they're so serious. It's so depressing to go there. Well, in this, my first bottom, um, I looked it up. It was just a couple of miles away from me. In fact, the irony was it was in the same was in a temple, and it was in the same room that I used to be the lecturer, the diet workshop lecturer. I'm looking around. There's no scale. There's nothing. I walk in, and um, I felt, I felt, I felt, I knew. I knew that they had something here. I didn't realize how to put it, but I knew it was real. You know, <clears throat> me, the actress, this was real. Uh, in fact, when I first shared, I knew you don't come up here and say any phony baloney. People can see right through you. You have to say something real. And I remember the first thing I ever said at an OA meeting was, they told me that if I share, I'll get better faster. And so that's what I'm doing. And then I sat down. That was real. <laughs> and, uh, it's just it's just amazing how it went from there, and I was like the first little star. I was really, you know, got it, it, abstinence. That's what I got. So this was my life back then, and I came in the last year or two to realize what I was. I was Anita J., a chronic relapser. Chronic. Think about it. Since 1978, and my abstinence, this is the longest abstinence I ever had. It started, uh, my last binge 
and this was a few months after I started with vision, was, it wasn't even a few months, it was a month or two. Ah, February 3rd, 2014 was my last binge. That is, even, I, I'm in awe still of that, and that that wasn't the good part. That wasn't the good part. The good part will be four years on July 25th, the short couple of weeks, 2014, when the whole world turned upside down. When it was like I did a giant turnaround on the whole world. And um, that is really the topic of this, of this talk, even though I said all of that stuff. Um, I'm kind of gearing this because that giant turnaround was at a conference that I actually just came back from Tuesday. Um, it's a spiritual program um, that I've been a member of since 2002. And I feel like I got led there. Because at some point I had thrown, let's bring God into this. He's, he's in it. He's in the whole story, uh, guiding even when I didn't know. I didn't know he had always been there. But I had that realization uh, a year into OA when I was on a road where there was a terrible accident. And um, traffic was all backed up, and there was this. Uh, like a little horse trailer and a, someone being uh, taken out by stretcher from her car. And why that was a spiritual awakening for me was that one year earlier, right before I joined OA, I was on that road. And as I crossed the intersection, I was hit in the driver door by a United fruit truck. The car was demolished, and nothing happened to me. That wasn't when I had the spiritual awakening. It was this, seeing this lady with the little horse trailer being carried up. I just was filled with, he's always been there. He's always been there. I just never acknowledged it, and I never knew it. And that was the seed. But unfortunately, as Bill tells us, not just Bill, the doctor, it's all throughout the book. I failed to enlarge my spiritual life, and yet I didn't know it. I got um, felt to go back to church because I was very, I had this very high standard, which God has a very interesting way of breaking me of. Um, but when the minister had the affair, that was it. I think my son was in the second grade. I was a Sunday school teacher. He hated it. He was thrilled when I got outraged and left. Um, my daughter was upset. She liked it. And uh, so the, the thing was, I had these standards that I couldn't live up to, and I couldn't, you couldn't live up to, and nobody could live up to. But uh, OA got me back in church. I missed it. I, I was brought up going, you know, and um, I missed it. So I 
I really prayed I ended up in this particular church. It wasn't the same denomination, but neither was the other one. They were, I was a shopper jumping around all over the place. So the thing was, um, I got, I got into this church and it, then I find out that there's like a huge organization of women, nothing to do with your particular church. It had to do with the huge, and uh, they had a retreat house. I ended up become volunteering up there and, um, uh, I ended up running the chapel and, you know, all these things. I, I, I did a lot of things and uh, began to be filled with self-pity because it wasn't doing it. How, you know, listen, God, listen, God, how do you like that? But he can take it. <laughs> what do you want me to do? You know, run a whole cathedral? Well, isn't this spiritual enough? Listen to the attitude. That's Anita, little Anita J. Uh, listen to that attitude. And it, even there, some of my glaring defects. Uh, when you're a volunteer on Monday nights, uh, there's a house meeting, and they give you the rules, you know, of how to behave as a volunteer. Well, I had already been there five days when I'm listening to the rules, and one is at the meals, you let the guests, go first. The volunteers wait. Well, for five days, who was first in line? I'm raising my hand here. You can't see it. I was first in line. Um, That was kind of humbling. You know, two other times I just remember about only thinking of me. Um, One was uh, we also have these conferences all over the country, and I like to go to those. And um, we're seeing, uh, I think it was the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, so we're going by car, and so they said, you know, you can, there'll be cars around, and, you know, you'll just go in one. Well, I had to be in the first. I, I was so, I'm ashamed. I can still see the woman staring at me pushing my way ahead to be in and calling my friend to come, hurry up. Uh, that was Anita. I just want you to know. I also could be enraged. That was Anita. You know, a couple of times with my husband, my husband would react um, to arguments um, by shutting down. And the more he shut down, the louder I got. Uh a couple of times I got scared. I think I think he would never come back from it. I was really, really afraid. Uh, still not realizing I was creating the environment that I grew up in, that the food numbed me to, the fighting. Not realizing these little ears of these little kids, they hear it. That was Anita. I just want you to know why I can't believe, you know. The thing is, now I didn't have to wait for this. This total transformation started when I, you know, in 2014. But there were improvements along the line, definitely improvements. But um, the real transformation wasn't until 
I did all these steps. You know, I did the big book step study in the 90s. And the fourth step was very thorough. I learned a lot. The turnaround was a godsend. It It just made all those other four steps, you know, like, why did I even bother? Because I have to know my part, my part. But I never had, why didn't that work? Not because I wasn't a thorough fourth step or fifth step or the amends I made. None of that. It was, where was my step one? Where was my step two? Where was my step three? Where was my 10, 11, and 12? Where, where, it was gone. It wasn't anything. It was only talking about uh, getting that. I wanted that off my back, all that baggage. I wanted it off. That's all I could think about. Um, but it was this firm foundation that's permeated in this book. You know, I'm not good at telling you what numbers, but, you know, memorize the doctor's opinion. Put it in, you know, the problem with that wouldn't even work, would it? It has to get into your gut. And that's what happens this time with vision. When we finish the doctor's opinion, reading it together, my highlighting, um, it hit me. I can't have one. You think I would have known that? No. I can't have one. You know, the final, the final straw that got me to I can't have one was a bloody peanut. That's what, who would think? How it was, it was my behavior. It was my thinking and my behavior more than my weight. My weight was up. It was 191, but my highs were in the 200s, 229 being the highest. But that's where I hung out. So 191, yeah, I'm still svelte, ha, ha, ha. And um, the point is, for five nights in a row, I ate my, the reason I wasn't higher was I was always had a sponsor. I was always working the program. I had my three weighed and measured meals. I cleaned up the kitchen, decided to pour myself a cup of coffee and sit down with one peanut. One peanut became a handful. Then it became raisins and peanuts. Then the only way I could get rid of stopping that was to get that taste out of my mouth. So I switched to crackers. <laughs> then the only way to get rid of the crackers was something else. And then finally, okay, Anita, you go get what you really want. Where's some sugar? Get the bloody sugar. All of that. was. So that was on a Monday. Tuesday, you wake up. You're not doing that again. You're not. I don't even know if I told my sponsor. Tuesday, Tuesday, I um, same thing. You understand the same thing. I think I switched brand of peanuts, some other nut. And the thing was, this went on for five days until I could. I got sick of me. I got sick of me. I couldn't buy it anymore. This was, you know. 
what are some of those Yiddish words? I don't know. Whatever word, throw it in. This is just, ah. <laughs> and um, I couldn't do it anymore. And you know what? I realized now I didn't have a sponsor then. I, and uh, I had been recommended one and uh, finally decided to call her. I didn't know about vision during this. This is right before it. Turns out that this lady had a lot of years of abstinence, but she had just finished the, the vision big book way of doing the process, which is whatever. Anyway, the point is I did it. I said I'd be willing. I had never listened to a radio, to a phone meeting. Contempt prior to investigation. That's me. Herbert Spencer knew me very well. And, uh, you know, that's in the book. Find it. And um, so that that was uh, that's what began to happen with her. I began to do this, and I saw it. I saw it. It was just, and so the point is, and then nothing. I already did thirty six years of trying my way, or the magic sponsor, or the this do thing will do it, or if he'd only take me here or if the kids would do this or something. None of it worked. You know that. If you've, been, if you've been around enough, you know none of it worked uh, for long anyway. So the point is um, I knew that too, step two. Step three, there's the key. Surrender it all. Hold nothing back. The things you never gave to God. Did you do it any better? Did you get what you wanted? Do you have at your fingertips all the options that uh, God has? I just, you know, you think maybe you know a little more than you, kid? Huh? And finally... It is. You can have it all. I don't even know why you want it. You can have it. And that was the beginning. And then this fourth step, you know, in, in the 20 years or so, you know, about 20 years, I guess, things had accumulated. And um, so I had, it was much shorter than the first one. But, but I did it. And uh, when I came home, after giving it away, I, I now live in a really lovely condo with a lovely porch when it's not too hot to sit out there and uh, spent my hour, which turned into an hour and a half. I knew something had happened to me. I knew it. I didn't know what yet. And then six and seven, uh, we did spend time. And actually, I know we've had some controversy, but we're all different. I really appreciated hearing some of these things. I was so out of touch with what was wrong with me or even what was right with me. All I really knew about me was that I had a great sense of humor and could find comedy in the run of the mill. I could find it. Other than that, I didn't know what else I had. And uh, so the point is, it was wonderful to hear some of these things, the selfish, the self-centered, all of the devilments, 
fault. You know, I I was. They were not anyone else's fault. They were my fault. It all began with me, and um, it's a it's a lesson that's taken so long to learn. But anyway, um, so we we um, did that, and then I started on the amends. And you know what? This is it made my list. We went over it. I really appreciated it. You know, her help, helping me with um, you know, what kind of an amend, and uh, you know, is it face to face or? Uh, you know, my parents were now dead, but I had already done all that with them in the back then. So I'm grateful. And um, so, well, this this companionship, this uh, organization I'm part of, I had uh, from doing this in 2014. I've been a member since 2002. So I had some things, and I had one. Very one, very bitter one since 2008, because we have elections, and I wanted a particular job, which I was nominated to be. And when I was, I was told um, the person who nominated me had the position, and um, she's the one who nominated. You know, put me in and said she could do it, and I because I had been on the committee, and um, it was more, you know, it was a very big, big job, very, and made you an officer, but it was, it was also kind of a showy job. You got to work, but, so she said, think what, think carefully, because for 28 years, the last, so that would be four times seven. That nobody had ever run against the person. There's only been one person. I talked it over with my husband. Uh, by 2008, the kids weren't there, you know. And um, so I said yes. Then I waited for the ballot to come out. There were two names. The other person had been a companion since 19... 19- 85, she knew everybody. She knew everybody. She came in. That didn't mean she was 100. She came in at 30 years of age. She knew everybody. Everybody loved her. And I lost. And who was I mad at? The head of the nominating committee. For You know, you finally do the turnaround and everything. You got mad at her for doing her job. She found, she found two people. I couldn't, I just, uh, and so the head of the chapel was the consolation prize. Because the head person, that one wasn't an election. That one is a nomination by the head of the society. And uh, I said yes because I loved that lady and I wanted to work with her. And so I did it. Turned out it was a wonderful thing because it taught me about silence. I'm in there a lot when nobody else was there. Taught me a lot about humility, but it didn't take away the resentment. It didn't take until I did this process. This poor woman 
and I knew she knew. Um, she uh, because at, when she would come, she's from you know out down I think the Lone Star State. Um, when she'd come, she's a wonderful person. You get it? And I'd have these negative vibes. You can tell, can't you? Somebody's giving you these negative or ignoring you, and oh. So when I was going, I thought I've got to. You know, I'm praying to God. What about? There were four others. One was the lady who got the job, but hers, no, she didn't know. That one was going to be a, a, a declaration in front of other people, you know, not standing up in front of it, you know, in a way to acknowledge what a great job she'd done. And she had. You understand that, don't you? She had. And so when I, um, when I went, uh, uh, to to the place, and uh, first thing you do is you know you register for the conference, and you you go up to your room, and you have to make your bed. And um, I'm in there, and I'm praying, please God, show me the order of doing these things. I don't I don't want to I you know I know that God has to prepare the other person too, so I don't want to force anything. And um, what do I hear? I hear that accent walking down the hall. It's her. I stick my head out. There she is. I go, hi. I go, you have a minute? (laughs) And I bring her in, plop her on the bed. Well, she said yes. I didn't uh, kidnap her. And we had had the talk. And first she tried to be graciously like she did had no idea and then and then we had a real conversation and I told her I told her that I was a member of and that I told her it all you know what it has been this is a program that lasts folks these are men they aren't just for that day I don't see her very often but I have seen her the last two years and it is like uh, like I'm meeting, you know, a close friend forever. We hug. Uh, it's, it's life-changing, life-changing. And um, I had to become late to the conference this year. One day late, I'll explain why later. And um, so I slip in. It's either the seat near the back. I sit down. You know, settle in, turn to my left, there she is. Like she's been saving it for me. I mean, obviously she wasn't, but and we smiled and hugged. Oh, I'm telling you, you can be right with everybody, you know. And the lady that I was so jealous of that I had to, you know, say what a good job she's done. Well, now, not only has she since then, uh, She's finishing up as the head honcho, the companion in charge. That's the big honcho. She's finishing it up. I, I sat down and we at one of the meals at her table. It just naturally happened. We had it was so easy and relaxed. The point is when this is done right. That's why when I work with people, I don't want it to be superficial. You want what I'm going to tell you I got? 
you have to really make it real, folks. You got to make it real. <laughs> and, um, oh, what I'd been holding myself away from pretending that I was a human being, you know, a real person. So what happened was after I had that wonderful exchange with her in my bed, in my bedroom, um, then I finished up there and went down into the main room where most everybody had already gathered. And when I walked in, I'm telling you, it was like it was like I had just, you know, like when she came, Dorothy comes back from Oz and, and looks around, you know, and she sees this is this is what it's supposed to be like. This is no place like home business or through the rabbit hole or that one, Alice. But this was Anita. Anita did a turnaround on her life. God did it. I felt like I had joined the human race. That is the God's truth. I'll never forget the feeling. I joined the human race. We're all equal. It's like I wanted to go to every row. Attention, excuse me. Give me the main mic. Do you know we're all equal? There's nobody better than you. For me, uh, nobody worse than you or me. We're all equal. I just, um, you know, we're all precious. You know, I used to love that little Sunday school song, Red and Yellow, Black and White. We're all precious. Isn't that the cat's meow? And isn't it sad that, you know, do the math. Uh, Let me tell you, folks. 1978, I was 42. Now here I am, 2014, finding out that I'm precious, that I've always been loved, and that um, I can love everybody. You know, you think that you tried to be a wife, you tried to be a mother, not knowing that. What, What can you pass? I passed the best I could, but you see that that bundle... I might have um, made it less for my two kids, but they had a bundle, you know? It's, uh, you can't undo any of that, you know? But um, the point is that that's, those are the kinds of things that um, nothing's really been the same since. And um, it isn't that now you go off, just like that first spiritual awakening, he's always been there. This isn't, okay, now you got it. Oh, no, 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 no. There's, you have to keep at it and working with others, you know, working with others has been such a joy. And in all the ways you do it, uh, in all the ways you do it, this happened recently. I just, I asked her if I could mention it and she said yes. And um, she, I didn't tell her where I was going to do this, but um, like um, talking to somebody, and a lot of times she calls when um, I'm unable to pick up, and uh, we, we don't connect. But this time we did, and um, I'm listening to her, and I she she was looking for a job, and um, I'm just listening, and um, I'm listening about her life a little bit and all of that, and I go, 
You know, I mean, I say I go because uh, God doesn't have voice, does he here? It's us. Our voice, our hands, our feet, that's it. It's all he's got. Uh, I go, it sounds like you really love the animals and you're good with them. Have you ever thought about uh, trying a, um, a vet's office? You know, I, it was, anyway, I just said that. She goes, she goes, boy, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? And, you know, la, la, la. And so a couple of days later, now, again, I missed her call, but I get a voicemail. I don't know, Anita, <laughs> what's going on? But I had that talk with you, and I'm looking at the paper, and what is there? A vet tech. And, and um, anyway, she's taken the action. Uh, I don't know. She, you know, when I've talked to her, she doesn't know yet what what's happened, but that she took the action, and she just felt like a million bucks, and I thought, thank you, God. Uh, that I could do that, um, no matter what happens. It was just like, that's it. And then um, I was also grateful for, I've had a friend in this program, you know, I knew her mother, I knew her, I knew her uh, sister a little bit, but the thing was, since she was a teenager, and... um you know, I, I like to think we were friends, and uh, you know, I mean, how close are you if, if you're 42 and she's 19? But the point was, I've always considered her a friend, and she's had kind of the same kind of background as me with the, um, you know, with the uh, up and down pro, uh, abstinence. She called, we don't talk hardly anymore, and um, she called, and I told her about vision, and um, she's one of us now, she's one of us, and I just thought, look at that, I, I just feel like I'm grateful, you know, every, everything I do now is really focused on this. I have a childhood friend I, back in Illinois, and um, all these years I used to call uh, her. She was she's two months older. I treated her as if she were my mother, and um, the point is, I don't do that anymore. I don't go to wells that don't have any water in it, and I don't mean that cruelly, but she doesn't know. She doesn't know what we know, folks, uh, where we should go and uh, who we can share with. And um, th that's just been the way it is. And now I want to just talk about, um, you know, there's so many things I could talk about, but I want to talk about that this program, as I said, that this program lasts, but it also works no matter what is going on in your life or what you find out has gone on, it, it works if it's solid and you're working it daily. And um, that is also 
a tremendous change. That is fourth dimension. This is fourth dimension business. Because when my father died, I was in my longest period of abstinence, two years and seven months. I stood, uh, he had since moved to Massachusetts and um, because of the two parents, he's the one that I was the closest to, the one uh, I really identified with and uh, really, really loved. And anyway, I stood at his grave in a size eight dress, you know, proud, you could be proud of me to the very end, and that's when I went on such a jag. This isn't the same one as diet workshop jag. That was a different one. This one is a worse one, and uh, took three years to recover from, from therapy. I never had that long a therapy before, but I had repressed my whole childhood because Daddy said I could handle it. He said I could handle it. By God, I handled it until he died. And then it all came out. This time, uh, when my husband died, um, there was nothing to handle. We had truly, I thought, but uh, I thought we had done it all. But before I mention any of that, which I should probably mention, but I want to first talk about one other thing, and that is my macular degeneration. When I say no matter what happens, you know, he didn't promise us, you know, these cliches, they're real, you know. He didn't promise you a rose garden, Anita. That isn't what God, you know. I have had a course correction on God. I thought, this is the child in me. If you were really, really good, because I must have been really, really bad as a kid, nothing bad would happen to you. I didn't know. Life on life's terms, I were in that envision. Life on life's terms. You don't. You know, why not you? Why not? Why not? Uh, I began to get this, though, in the early 80s when my son was involved in an automobile accident, he was the driver and the driver of the other car died when his road, his car crossed the center line on black ice and killed her. And um, well, there was a trial and all of this and um, I was uh, so angry because um, three seconds either way and he would have missed her until somebody pointed out to me, you realize without that car as a buffer that he his car bounced against, his fate was a stone wall. You know, I don't know. I don't understand any of it. But I was filled with self-pity and rage at God. Where were you? You know, where were you? And that's when I heard... I was there. I was in the road with them. And that's when I began to get the change of God in me. God is, uh, like it said, no rose garden. He'll be with me no matter what. So my father had macular degeneration. He lost the center vision in one eye. The other eye 
never happened. He was died at 87, and the other eye was okay. Um, did I? I never thought. Well, I'm not going to. I never thought. So they spot it that I have it, and I should start to take these. Um, not the wet eye, but there's. The point is, I began taking these vitamins, and uh, then you're supposed to check your vision on a grid, and I would do it, and then one day, one of the eyes, you know, I couldn't really see out of it. So I have, fortunately, they have a solution now. They have these shots in the eye. Don't cringe. They numb it. Um, So I will never lose the center vision as long as I have the discipline to keep my appointments to be checked. And... um, because I do have wet eye, and I have dry eye. I have both. And, uh, but I'll never lose the center vision. So I am grateful. And isn't that funny? I'm grateful now. My gratitude list has so changed to think that with what I'm going through, uh, because there are still there are issues, um, I have to have a lot of light. You know, when I lead... Um, vision meetings, I set it all up. I have two lights on this coffee table. I have a light uh, over my shoulder on the left. Um, the point is light. I take this, I've taken the script and made, you know, changed it to bold. And that whole in- introduction, I have separate, larger, bold prints. And then every week I would fill in the names or those, you know, the page, all of that, fill it in later uh, so that I can sound like it's just effortless. And uh, and it is effortless. Once I get prepared like that, it's, it's effortless. So I am grateful. What, what tops my gratitude list these days? Uh, my vision. I'm also grateful for elevators. I'm grateful for stair railings because I didn't know that you get a depth perception problem. Depth. I can go up an escalator, but looking down when I'm terrified. So I don't even bother going up. I do the whole, you know, in the department store, I check the, where's the elevator? Go up and down. Me and the baby carriages. (laughs) It's okay, you know. Humor in the run of the mill, that's me. So anyway, that that, um, that, that is uh, living with that, needing a lot of light. And fortunate enough to be able to get a car that um, has great light, gives you all these clues, you know, to help you drive like that. And, uh, and so the, it doesn't affect the driving, but uh, my confidence feels better with these clues. So learning to live with, you know, life on life's terms. And um, But the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, the last years of my husband's life, you know, things got probably the best they ever were. Um, from the time that um, we had grandchildren, 
which was 1999. Um, one of them, well, one set, one set were in California at that time, but the other set were right five minutes from the house, and that first little guy, the three of us would go. If, if that little guy wanted to see a cow, hop in the car, my husband would find, he found a whole herd. And separate, there was also a bull. <laughs> Nothing was too good for this little boy. And we had so much fun. It was just so much fun. And um, we saw each other in, you know, a different, a different light. Uh, this transformation began in the mid-'80s and um, could have happened even sooner in the early-'80s. You know, my children, that fighting escalated into uh, we couldn't get along. We couldn't get along. You know, some of the lawyers used to say to me, why don't you leave them? Why don't you leave them? And um, I couldn't. I couldn't. You see, I wasn't a real person. The house wasn't a real house. It, the kids, you know, I had been the PTA president. I had an image I didn't want to disappoint my father, which is really a riot because he was married and divorced twice. It's, isn't that interesting? But see, it's not based on reality. I wasn't living in the now or in the real world. That's what transformation does. You're living in the real world, and it's wonderful. That's why you think I'm going to let anything pick, pick, take that away Some cup of uh, ice cream, a cup, are you kidding? Uh, are you kidding? No, I, I can't, I can't do it. This is too much, too much to give up. So the, the point of this is um, I was very susceptible uh, to, a, to somebody who affirmed me. And so there he was in the OA meeting, um, single, uh, anyway, the point is, um, we became friends. For over a year, we were friends. And then one day it crossed over. And um, not for very long, as I was trying to live a spiritual life, and uh, didn't feel right, you know. And um, But the thing was... Uh, my sponsor and the guru of the state, she, they both said, this is bigger than OA. You, you need outside help. And I was told, by, I went somewhere, and uh, I said, I come to work on my marriage. And he said, well, you need to bring your husband. I said, he won't come. And he goes, get him here. I got him there. He came. For nine months, he sat there and um, really didn't reveal anything. But I was satisfied that this man, who this was anathema. Is that the word anathema? Sounds good, though, doesn't it? Uh, that, that this is, this must mean he loves me. And I was satisfied with that. Because I told him. I had told him what, what I had done. And his response was, you were friends 
he said. He said the facts, trust. You, you were friends. And I thought that was a strange response, but you know, I never delved. Therapists never delved. And now I know why. And, um, and I, now I know why I never asked. You don't ask until you can stand the truth of why. And um, I heard the why. You know, my husband at the end, as I told you, you know, since the 80s, since we started in the church, that's where he got a spiritual awakening. There was a Bible verse that um, I think no matter what your religion is, you've got to have heard this about be not anxious. And, uh, you know, the lilies of the field are beautifully dressed. They don't worry. The birds are fed. They don't worry. He began to change. And like what happens with us, and uh, he began to change. So that was the beginning of him. And um, he and his son had never had a close relationship. They were at each other. And uh, as my son began to try to make gestures, my husband wasn't ready. Then when my husband was ready, my, the other, my son saying, he doesn't sound sincere. And this went on. And... Um, but near the end, uh, they got close, and that's what I've got to hurry up here. Um, you know how there was a special edition um, of Ruth's about the character defects and that God will clear them up when he wants to because some of your bad qualities can help situations, and that's what happened. How my son got there one day because I wanted something done when I wanted it. And um, he came over, did it, and you know, he said, really, this could have waited, Mom. And then he was gonna leave. I go, aren't you gonna say hello to your father? And um, he said, no, I got, I'm in a hurry. And then my son, my husband yells his name, and they, they, they are like talking, at, they're talking about seven feet apart from each other. And for the first time, my son didn't bolt. He listened. And let's just put it like this. It was a beginning that about, that finished about 10 days before my husband died, when it was pretty obvious he was going to die. And um, he wanted to see, he wanted to see him. He wanted to see his children and his grandchildren. He wanted his son and he came, he came first, and it was the most beautiful reunion. You know, I think if I don't know what, if I were staging the prodigal son, you know, my son has returned. They were crying and talking in those last few days, you know. Who knows how much is enough? Wouldn't it have been nice sooner? But it was, you know, it was just the most beautiful thing. And then, my daughter needed to hear things, and that that went. And then he had more of a general thing to the grandchildren, and it was all wonderful. And then each day he was weaker and weaker. And so, when he said to me, uh, "We couldn't have a conversation then," but I don't think I could have responded then anyway. He he goes, 
It was a declaration. It was a deathbed declaration. That's what it was. He's saying, I have always loved you. You know, it's always been you. What's a few flings? <laughs> and that was the, uh, And it took me a few months to finally be able to even look at it. And... Um, tried to do a couple of 10 steps with visionaries that I like and trust and think they know, have some experience. Didn't work. Called the last therapist I've ever had and said, I need to talk to you. And um, <clears throat> we had a session and I, you know, went in and she said, well, so what's going on inside of you? And I said, first I couldn't even process it because I realized when it happened and never because of my self-centeredness I never uh, thought if you're miserable Anita don't you think he's miserable never never the self-centeredness of me never realized what he thought and I you know how we're taught on this program, look it up in a dictionary. Fling. That's more than a one-night stand, and it's not an affair. It's a, it's, a, it's a few times with no emotional involvement. And I thought, no wonder. It was the friendship. It's the intimacy of a friendship that he knew I had with a man. That's what bothers me. But you see, I never asked that. I couldn't ask it. And um, so that 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 is uh, really basically, uh, you know, I just couldn't ask it. And, you know, I've always known that you don't ask until you know you're prepared for the answer. You have to be strong enough. You know, my father had a way, way back a colostomy. And um, the doctors wouldn't tell him, the nurse, because they've seen people jump out of the hospital room window. The nurses told me, because I said, he wants to know why he was cut in the front. And they, so she told, she explained, she goes, the doctors want me to, they want the nurses to do it, and we wouldn't mind if you did it. So I waited until the day he said to me, you know, um, they cut me in the front, and I don't know why. And um, with that opening, you see, that's, I go, you want to know why? He goes, yeah, and I told him. And then he, you know, he turned his face away, and tears started coming down his face. And um, I couldn't go back. I had a five- and a seven-year-old at home. Um, friend there was watching him, and then, my husband would pick him up after work. I couldn't go home because they said we can't take him out of intensive care until he'll t- take care of it himself. And uh, I would leave that hospital and go eat ice cream back and forth. Anyway, the point is on day 13, I walked in. He said, you can go home tomorrow. He chose life. You know, I thank God for my father. He chose life. My mother, you know, the mentally ill alcoholic, she chose life. What a survivor. That's a separate story. I wrote a monologue about it. And um, 
anyway, the point is uh, grateful for that background. And um, so the point is uh, I understood and I told the therapist my overwhelming feeling is sadness, such sadness that he and I couldn't talk to each other. I didn't have the tools. He came from an arranged marriage. His mother and father were so different. He didn't know communication. I certainly didn't know communication. We couldn't talk to each other. And so that was my sadness. And then in the therapy, he didn't trust me. He didn't trust me to tell the truth. You know, he was right. I have to tell you. I had a jealousy, and I never even saw him do anything. I saw women approach him. Filled me with rage. He, you know, I can understand. So the point is, the sadness was the thing. I'm a missed opportunity. And um, so I said, she said, well, okay, what else? What else about you? And I go, me? I go, me, basically how I feel is... Um, I, I got <clears throat> these little bubbly feelings. Like, um, you know, I've only been in the Reykjavik airport. I never was able to leave it in the layover for, to come back home. And um, But I heard about these geysers on the ice that, you know, like, they like they want to erupt. These little bubbles and they want to erupt into big streams. And I feel like that was, that's what, that's how I feel. I go, do you understand what I'm trying to say? And she goes, yes. She goes, you are describing a woman who is emotionally intact. She's mature. And she's just been dealt, you know, a shock. She's also going through the death of a man she was married to for 56 and three-quarter years. And yet there you are. And, you know, I looked at her, and, you know, she goes, you know, I only went back one more time just in case, but there was nothing else. You know, I'm free. This is a program that you're free as long as you keep living it. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to keep helping people? Why wouldn't you want to put, why wouldn't you want to be last in line? It's a, it's, it's really if I could just get everybody to feel that way, I can't do a bloody thing but be a conduit. And I want to thank you all. Um, you know, I wrote all these notes, and because of my macular degeneration, I can't even read the whole bloody thing. But I think that I basically told you everything I wanted to say. So uh, with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Anita, for sharing your personal experience, insights, and your growth along spiritual lines as a result of the program of recovery. Thank you very much for giving so much of yourself this morning. We will now transition to question-answer period. Uh, Anita's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording. So let's get to our question-answer segment. You can ask a question by pressing star 1 to unmute, please, and give us your first name and first letter of your last name as well. Mary Lee R. in Oregon. Mary Lee. 
Laura G. Laura G. Sandy S. Sandy S. Star one to unmute if you'd like to ask a question. Okay. Let's start with Mary Lee R., please. Thank you if everybody else can mute. Good morning. This is Mary Lee R. in recovery just for today in Eugene, Oregon. And Anita, I can really relate to the last few days um, before your husband passed and having had a very similar um, experience. And I just would like to know um, the discipline of your program and and how you, where you go to and what you do. Um, for me, you know, it, it definitely had to do with a relationship with um, a higher power. And I just would kind of like to know what, what that looks like for you. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Um, you know, <clears throat> that <clears throat> has been uh, been changing and changing until <clears throat> it was much more disciplined in terms of uh, always doing you know, my nightly review to somebody. Um, and I have the app, which is very helpful. I even have a 10-step app. and uh, I have a gratitude list app. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, I do it sometimes. Sometimes it's only in my head. Sometimes I write it, but I don't send it to anybody. And uh, what has happened now is I love silence. It's like walking on that broad highway hand in hand in silence with my higher power. And, uh, you know, there was this prayer that um, I came across uh, that I was thinking about some telling people, but I didn't. And um, now I don't even know where I put it, so maybe I'm not even supposed to tell. Oh, but... To change it a little bit, it's that I listen, and it's um, I'm going to just change it a little bit. Listen to me, HP says. Listen with still posture and eyes closed. Listen while you're walking or letting yourself dance. Listen looking into gazing and bright green leaf trees. Listen kneeling in the soil. And it goes on like that. Stop and smell the flowers and listen. And that this higher power has so many good things to say to me. Be still and listen. And that has been long. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I try to tune in right away. I try to thank him. And here's another day, and um, uh, <clears throat> just to keep align myself with his will for the day and the next right thing to do and the next right thing to do. Because if anything's happened, you know, it's a process coming out of um, marriage, you know, 
um, sometimes I sit in silence sometimes because I can't move to the next right thing. I just have to be a minute. And uh, then I keep going. So it's more like a partnership, you know. At one point I had asked to fall in love with God again because I didn't feel it, and I do now. And so that's basically, but it started with very disciplined things. And um, all of all of that has been uh, sometimes and sometimes not. And uh, so that's basically me. So I think it's an individual thing, but that, you know, I even had, uh, I have on my own laminated the, um, the you know, upon awakening and at night and several prayers, they're all on there. And I really, um, you know, that's portable. I carry it anywhere I want. I see it bold, bigger print. It's very, all of that's very helpful for me to keep remembering who I am. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Lee R. Laura G, star one to mute. Your turn. Thank you. Thank you, Leah, uh, for your service. And um, the question is, um, you mentioned that, um, I can't remember if it was your father or your husband that just didn't talk. You know, you just didn't talk. And uh, my question is, when you come upon that now and or when you came upon that, um, the understanding of that, they just don't talk. Um, You know, like... For me, not talking is almost like I've had I've experienced that many times in my life, and it's very um, it almost feels um, it just feels really bad when somebody doesn't talk and to have the compassion that they don't know how. Um, I don't know. Could you just talk more about that? I I don't know if I understood. Uh, yeah, that, that was my husband. Yeah, thank you. That was um, <clears throat> what we used to be like. Um, because if we started to have some kind of a disagreement, it it didn't escalate because he went inward. I found out that he had done that since he was a little kid. He goes inward. But I thought he was doing it to attack me. He didn't know. That's how he coped. You know, he didn't have Twinkies. He went inward. And um, and uh, I yelled. Now, you know, I I have uh, I have some friends who are much more introverted than I am, and um, I realize, and it's still working on this. But they like to be with me. I enjoy them, but that I don't need to fill every space. I don't need to. Why can't we just be in silence and companionship? And uh, that is taking, you know, that's still like a character defect trying to um, think that I have to orchestrate our conversation. But, um, But if it's being used as a weapon, you know, my husband at one point said to me, I realize silence is abusive. And, um, you know, it isn't like he was a totally unfeeling person. He didn't know. He didn't have a program. 
he even tried for five months. He went to AA, and um, but specifically to do a fourth and fifth step because he wanted to make up with his son. Well, you you know it don't work like that. But but so it depends about the silence. If it's abusive, or if it's not, you know. And um, I have some Al-Anon in me, and you know, you don't need to stay for abuse. You can you know go somewhere. Uh, but I first have to learn my part. I was playing a part, terrible part. And, you know, there's no simple answers, are there? You just have to trust and rely on your higher power. Keep doing this work. And um, you know what? You keep doing it. How long do you have to keep doing this work? Until you want to keep doing it. And these will all be revealed to you. You'll be so excited when you figure it out. Thank you. Thanks, Laura G. Sandy S., your turn. Yeah, hi. This is Sandy S. Can you hear me? I'm in the car. I hear you. Well. Great. My question is this. I have really experienced a lot of the um, benefits in a way I've never had of recovery. And I'm older, too. I'm 70 to be 71 shortly. And my relationship with my 84-year-old husband is definitely at its peak. I mean, and peaking. I mean, the, the more I work the program, the better it's getting. I mean, and it, it was, it, he's God's gift to me. There's no doubt about it. I mean, this, this man has been the mother and father I always wanted as well as a husband. Just a huge support. And this is my question. Like, he doesn't take that great care of his physical health because, you know, he loves to eat. He's not a compulsive eater. And I'm so afraid of him dying. He's got a lot of, you know, nothing terminal but a lot of chronic things. And I've been afraid of him dying since I met him. I mean, this is 27 years of me being afraid of him dying. And I've done a lot of 10 steps on it. I just can't imagine living this life without him. And it's crazy because I say to myself, like, um, I'm not enjoying the day because I'm in fear of him dying. This is insanity. You know, so if you have any suggestions um, for how to just accept the life and death process. And my mom just died. And I'm fine. It's amazing. I'm I'm saying, am I going to do the same thing I did with my mom, which I worried every single day she's going to die? And then when she died, I handled it. I really, whatever suggestions you have, I'd appreciate. Thank you. You know, thank you. Thank you. Yes. You know, um, birth and death, when they were taken away from the home, you know, once it was all a natural process, it was all done in the home. But once they threw both the beginning and the end into hospitals, <laughs> it became separate. And um, and so it becomes scarier. And uh but the thing was, from my own husband's lips, this wouldn't be a bad topic to talk with your husband, not specifically his dying, but death in general or God in general. God in general. Um, because my husband, when he was going to die, he called five friends. You know, he had a hearing problem too, and everything he did was on speakerphone, and I, you know, but the point is he called to thank them for their friendship 
and he was calling to say goodbye. And I, one of the responses to one of the men, um, you could feel his uncomfortable with the topic of death. He goes, I know that talking about death is uncomfortable to some people, but he goes, he goes, you know, it's all part of life. It's perfectly natural. And um, that was him at the end. I, I listened to that. Yeah, it's perfectly natural. And now this God that, you know, I think pretty, I'm pretty sure that uh, his God is going to tell him, good job, fella. Good job, you know, and he's going to tell me that too. And um, don't, that's the thing is I think you've got to rearrange how you feel about God. And uh, I just wanted to say what you're describing is basically what I was describing when my father died. I went, I couldn't believe I could never see his face again, never. And here I stand. I have a lot of baggage around there. I think um, maybe 10 step isn't enough. Fourth step is better, you know? But I don't know. I don't know. Is that coming from God or is that coming from little Anita here? You know? You and your higher power, that's who you should talk to, really, and trust him. That's all I've got on that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sandy S. We can take a couple more here. Anyone else with questions for Anita J? Star one to unmute. Jody EQ. Jody. Ginger C. Ginger C. Okay. Jody, go ahead, please. Thank you, Leah for your service. Thank you, Anita, for yours as well. You mentioned that your husband was upset that you had a male friend. In retrospect, do you wish that you had not had that friend, that um, it would have been better for you not to have any male friends? How has your sex ideal changed, if it has, over the years and, and now as uh, once your husband is gone, uh, looking back? Okay. Thanks, Jody EQ. That, that whole section was done in, that nine, in, my nine, in the 90s, back when I um, did that first fourth step. Uh, I dealt with all that. And the thing was, no, I don't regret having a male friend because I'd never had one. I didn't trust men. I wouldn't trust them as far as you could throw them. And it was like I got into OA and I began to take a chance. Take a chance on a friend. You know, I was pretty straight-laced because... Not because of some high moral ground. It was because I didn't trust men. And um, so I took a chance on having a friend. And it was great. We had, uh, it turned out we were colleagues too. I mean, in a way, I, I was a supervisor of different places. And it turned out he was the head of the place that I had to watch see these girls we had placed there. 
and with the program, and we had that, and we had a lot of other interests. And I thought, this works, until it didn't. But it was the catalyst that got my husband and me to begin the process of becoming real. It took a long time. As I say, we couldn't communicate. No, I don't regret it. I think it was part, and I don't think it hurt him either, the fellow. And um, because he wasn't real either. <laughs> I feel like it all worked. Or else, if it shouldn't have worked, God has a way of turning everything into a positive. Just like maybe we should have divorced back then, but he turned it all around. And um, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Jody. Our final question for today comes from Ginger C. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for your service and beautiful story, Anita. Um, brought tears to my eyes, so thank you for your honesty and truth and sharing with us this morning. And um, my question is, it just seems um, a lot of us can get obsessed with what we are doing rather than being and that we are what we do. And so I'm just curious, how do you practice being? Being, being me, being real, being me, huh, Ginger? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I just live. I just try to live in the now, you know. That, I've come so far in that. Way in the beginning, they used to say when I first joined OA, you know, Get in the shower. Don't think about anything else. Think about the hot water coming down. Live in your body. Live in it now. Uh, I do that for like 10 seconds, and then I'd be off and running in my head. But just being comfortable in my own skin. You know, that happened during this process. Early, I remember I weighed 172 pounds and happened to walk by this full-length mirror we have, and I stopped and I looked, and I liked me. For the first time in my life, I was comfortable being me. It had nothing to do with my outer looks. It was inside. I am comfortable being with me, just being, and... um and the things I do that are of, of God really feel good, which mostly that's what I do. I mean, I have my moments, even at that wonderful conference. Uh, I thought that somebody took my purse, and I began to go off a bit and um, didn't accuse anyone. But anyway, I did not pause when agitated and think quietly, be, just be and think. Uh, but somebody else, never been in a 12-step program, told me just to relax, think, and she said she'd look around. Anyway, we found it. And um, so, I, you know, I'm far from perfect. I have to apologize my daughter sometimes. I, You know, I love her so. I don't think I ever showed her. But anyway, that's me now just being, just comfortable being. Um, I, it's, I, don't, I don't even like the word practice. That I used to practice in the shower, and now I just try to live it. 
you know, I like me today. I don't like that. Um, I just, okay, it doesn't matter. I don't know how long I'm going to have being just this being. But my father lived to 87 and my mother 84 with no no self-care, that poor woman. Uh, so that's a miracle. So who knows? But I, I like just being now and doing what I can. Thank you. Thanks so much. I, I don't think that my presentation was conducive to questions. It's probably more shock, but I don't know. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you, Ginger C. And thank you so much, Anita, for your touching testimony this morning. Appreciate you giving so much of yourself to all of us here on A Vision for You. The share ID for today's presentation, 11633. That's 11,633. I'm going to close from page 164. It's from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.